Welcome back to Mike and Maurice's Mind Escape. Let us help you escape your mind. Folks, welcome back to Mike Maurice's Mind Escape. We have episode number 161 today. Uh, we're going to be talking about microdosing and psychedelics and psilocybin with our guest Adam Bramlage. Um, you can check out his stuff. I'll add the links down below the video after we're done. Uh, why don't you head on over to Mind Escape Podcast and check out our website. Also, I just uploaded a new Patreon to our Patreon, so go to patreon.com slash Podcast. Um, and uh, check that out. One more thing. We're working on it with everything going on in the media right now, though. We're going to hold off for a second. But uh, head on over to indrasweb.org and sign up to get an alert when the app goes live. This is an app that we created for open-minded, rational discourse on all the su- subjects we talk about on this platform, whether it be ancient civilizations, psychedelics, UFOs, whatever it is. If there's a fringe or... Uh, crazy hypothesis that you think deserves more we'll talk about it that's what the whole app's designed for so check that out but uh, without further ado welcome on the show adam hey guys thanks for having me i really appreciate being here tonight thanks for absolutely joining us. yeah maurice is the one that uh set this bad boy up here so finally we'll... got a guest baby <laughs> there you go, buddy well, um... gonna be... we're gonna have a lot of fun today getting into uh mushrooms and subthreshold dosing and and microdosing as a whole beautiful and yeah so we are you from michigan originally because we're both from michigan i know you know similar people so are you from the detroit area yeah, initially? from gross point park originally my parents still live in in the gross point area yeah awesome yeah so lo- local hometown uh, guy here too which is awesome we love that um so now when we're talking about microdosing as i mentioned off air that we've talked about psychedelics like a million times on this podcast, but we haven't really gone over microdosing in depth. So why don't you give us a little bit of information on how you got into microdosing and what kind of where you're at with it now? Awesome. Thanks. Uh, I was in the legal cannabis space here in California for more than 12 years, was always a, a plant advocate for cannabis. And then about two years ago, Uh, I was going through some serious depression and needing a change, and I heard about the studies at John Hopkins. Um, I began to self-treat myself with larger doses of psilocybin, uh, which led to me researching and getting into microdosing. Um, I then found through the next few months of microdosing that it was life-changing and decided to sell my cannabis companies uh, and pivot into the psychedelic space seeing that as a uh, real answer to things like depression, anxiety, uh, addiction. Um, So through that, uh, I began to change my life with microdosing, and then I began to work with uh, clients, people who were interested in using microdosing themselves to enhance their life. Um, Since then, I have probably more than 50 clients right now with everything from traumatic brain injury to Lyme disease to autism, to addictions to alcohol, tobacco, heroin, using these microdoses of psilocybin to effectively uh, get off these other medications and these substances and completely turn their life around. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, 
Yeah, it's been, obviously they just uh, legalized it in Oregon, and uh, they decriminalized some drugs over there by you as well, um, which is, you know, getting things moving in the right direction in terms of taking the stigma off of these things and allowing people to start to integrate them into whether it be psychotherapy or whatever the case may be. Um, so you, you said you, you know, you, um, were, actually, let me ask you this. Were you into psychedelics before you got into, um, this whole realm of using it as medicine? Like we talked a lot about on our trip reports episodes, like we started doing them in high school and we didn't really have a reverence for them. It was just like a cool, interesting thing to do back then. So did you, was that how you started or? Yeah, actually in high school, you know, I was a little bit on the smaller end, so I never could really jive with alcohol. And I was also a musician, so I got into using cannabis early on in high school and and really saw it as something that helped with um, even dealing with depression back back then. Um, I took my first dose of psilocybin mushrooms on graduation night from Gross Point South High School. (laughs) We we went to the all-night party at the War Memorial, and there were like five guys on mushrooms with me. And then there were like 10 to 15 guys on LSD. And probably about an hour and a half into the party when all the drugs started kicking in, we all ended up in the uh, the garden, like sprawled out, tripping, rolling around. And it was really cool because the universe brought everybody that was on psychedelics that night at the graduation party, like together in this garden to like smoke and hang out and laugh. But it was a real... It was a real rite of passage, and I didn't realize it till 15, 20 years later that the few times I had done mushrooms, a couple fish shows, uh, other places like that, they were really monumental experiences, and at times really fucking challenging too, like really hardcore experiences. So I did mushrooms and LSD a little bit in college, um, maybe more than a little bit, not an expert by any means, and then um, probably about 10 years ago, I started working with ayahuasca. Uh, I've worked with peyote. Um, so I, I've tried quite a few and I've had amazing, amazing experiences with ayahuasca. Speak highly of that um, experience with the right teacher in the right set and setting. Um, but I was always a huge cannabis advocate <clears throat> and still am a huge cannabis advocate. Um, but there is something next level with psilocybin. I can't explain it. There's an intelligence to these mushrooms. And no matter if a client is dealing with depression or addiction, they're adaptogenic. They seem to give the person exactly what they need and help them turn their life around. So psilocybin, these mushrooms are on a whole new level. So about two years ago, I really started to dive into the wormhole of who could I study? Who could I find out the most from on mushrooms? So it was as much Paul Stamets information as I could find on YouTube. Then I found Dr. Fadiman, and, and he's kind of the father of microdosing. He wrote the Psychedelic Explorer's Guide to microdosing, um, which was the first time in modern history that um, microdosing was really mentioned in literature. So um, I just really dove down the wormhole and started to educate myself. And the more and more I found, specifically with all the results coming out of John Hopkins, the more I'm really seeing psilocybin specifically um, is going to be the future of medicine. Mm. Yeah, I think uh, when you look at the landscape of things, too, um, obviously, obviously everything's progressing at, at a high rate right now, which is good. Um, but you know, it's going to go in some different directions that I think that, uh, keep an eye on. And I know like tech and, you know, there's a whole, uh, market there for money to be made. So, um, but when you look at, like you mentioned, there's an actual intelligence with the mushroom. I mean, I've def- every time I've, 
um, taken, you know, uh, a dose, I feel that like I'm going home. Like there's this, I, mean, I don't know if it's because I've did it a decent amount when I was younger, but there's that feeling like it feels more real than real and it's visceral and you can't really put it into words. And, um, I mean, people try, but I, I think I, 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 I got what you're saying for sure with the whole the little bit of a difference there. Well, I love how you say that you feel like you're going home. And I think when you say, I feel like I'm going home, it brings me back to, you know, the latest scientific evidence, which is basically the oldest fossil that's ever been found is the perfect spore print of a mushroom. And it's over 350 million years old. Mm. So now science is proving that plants and animals came from mushrooms. Science is also proving now that if you look at humans, we're more closely related to mushrooms than we are to plants. I mean, if you look at the makeup of our brain or you look at even images of it, it's a fucking mushroom. You know, it's this <laughs> yeah. mycelial web of information. So that's why I think specifically these mushrooms, um, they were the past of medicine. I mean, these are ancient technologies. You know, if if we came from mushrooms, then obviously mushrooms were probably the first psychedelic medicine that was available to homo sapiens mm. you know the whole idea of the stoned ape theory and, and them tracking game and, and eating mushrooms is something i i really firmly believe in um and you know more and more people are being turned on to this and you know i'm so happy to be talking to you guys today because yesterday two days ago there were huge election wins you know like you said oregon decriminalized all drugs mm -hmm. they fucking went portugal on the fucking world like this is insane now, if you get caught with meth or heroin or MDMA or you're an addict on the street, rather than get incarcerated and thrown in jail, you actually are taken to addiction services. You get therapy, you get counseling, and you get some help of actually maybe having a chance to overcome that. So super proud about Oregon. And then the other big step with Oregon is um, psilocybin-assisted therapy. Mm -hmm. They've got, they passed that, and so they're going to take two years to set up the model and the way they're gonna do it, but within two years, people in Oregon are gonna be able to go to a doctor for anxiety, depression, just about anything, and get a prescription to go have two to three sessions with a therapist um, in a therapy setting. And, and that is amazing progress, incredibly fast progress. I mean, right now, psychedelics are moving at a faster clip than even cannabis did. Um, and specifically speaking with psilocybin, Psilocybin's also at a different level than cannabis, where it's received uh, uh, breakthrough therapy status from the FDA now twice. So, um, you know, there's a very good chance now that in the next one to three years, uh, state to state, a lot of these uh, states will start to vote on the same thing. You know, I see this going the same way uh, as cannabis, whereas it starts in Oregon, then the next time ballots come around, it's on a ballot in Washington and California. And it's a slow progression, but it's definitely something that can't be stopped. Um, people need this uh, access to these plant medicines um, now more than ever with the pandemic, with the levels of depression, with winter coming on, um, and just with the fact that right now in psychiatry or, or medicine, all we have for depression is antidepressants. Mm -hmm. And antidepressants uh, have a success rate one third of the time meaning 70% of the time, for seven out of 10 people, these pills aren't working. So more than anything, I'm really, really excited uh, about everything that passed in Oregon. Washington, D.C. decriminalized plant medicines. 
you know, that means let's get some plant medicines into the system of some of these politicians, some of these lobbyists. Um, but yeah, things going at breakneck speed. And we've got to give a lot of credit to Ann Arbor too. Ann Arbor just decriminalized. Um, Ann Arbor decriminalized cannabis in the late 60s mm-hmm. and was way, way ahead. Of, that was uh, the thing in high school, right? Hash bash that everybody, yeah. we got to get out to hash bash. Yeah, we got to get out to hash bash. <laughs> you can smoke cannabis openly. And yeah, that was the myth. It's like you could smoke freely on the streets there, you know? Yeah, you could get arrested. And then, like, if you if you were, like, a stoner and you wanted to take it a step further, you're like, I'm going to Amsterdam, and I can, like, <laughs> smoke in a cafe. And yeah. now, I mean, just yesterday, they made rec weed in New Jersey, Montana, Arizona. Um, medical cannabis is now legal in fucking Mississippi. Mm-hmm. I mean— even the most southern of southern states are starting to flip on this idea that these plant medicines are a better alternative than pharmaceuticals. You mentioned the stoned ape theory, and I mean, I think a lot of people interested in the subject have uh, you know, read Food of the Gods, Terrence McKenna. Um, however, when I take these things, I, th- I have a different take on, obviously, of the visual acuity thing that he was pushing and all that stuff. And I, I don't disagree with that necessarily. I just don't think when I think about it, I think of more of the self-awareness aspect of the psilocybin, how that might've influenced us to have more compassion and empathy. Like when you come down from like a, a macro, for me, it's macro dose. We'll get into micro dosing here in a second. But when I take a macro dose and I come down, um, I want to get my shit together. I want to be nicer to the people I love. I'm introspective. I want to, you know, do those things. And I'm sure you're aware of the book that just came out, The Immortality Key, uh, Brian Morescu talking about how psychedelics probably played a huge role in the Eleusinian mysteries that evolved into Neoplatonism that eventually became Catholicism. And what is re- the, you know, the basis of religion is, you know, moral and ethical kind of behavior. So I, I, I definitely think that there's something there. I don't know exactly yet, but I think we're on the right track when we're looking at these things. But I, I just... I think the stoned ape theory is partially true, but there's probably a lot of other factors as well. Um, when we get to, when we're talking about microdosing now, um, why don't you talk a little bit about like when you started doing it, what was the dosages and then how did you kind of dial that in? You know, did you start off maybe taking a little bit too much and then you had to dial it back or how does that work? Absolutely. There's a sweet spot for everybody and everybody's different. Like, uh, you know, your dose for a microdose is going to be different than mine. Same with Maurice's. We're all made up different. We have different amount of uh, area in our brain and our gut. So more than anything in the first couple of days, it's finding your sweet spot. Um, the, the simple definition of a microdose is taking an amount of a substance where you don't notice you've taken it. It's sub-perceptual. So it's below the level that you're truly, really noticing it. So it's important um, in the first few days to find that sweet spot. If you feel high, if you're feeling like you're going to start tripping or you're kind of coming on, or another indication that your microdose might be too high, if you kind of get the yawns that um, you Mm -hmm. would get on the larger doses, that might mean that you have to dial it back. Um, technically with psilocybin and I work specifically with psilocybin because again, I believe there is an intelligence in this organic mushroom, um, as opposed even to LSD, which is synthesized ergot, another fungus, which is Mm -hmm. fascinating. Um, but a microdose for psilocybin can be anywhere from 0.1 to 0.4 of a gram. And the best way with any psychedelic is to start low and go slow. So I would suggest that everyone started with 0.1 
or 100 milligrams of psilocybin the first time that they microdose. Take that, go through your day. If you get to the end of the day and you're noticing, hey, my mood's a little bit better, that that was kind of a great day. Uh, and you just notice subtle little things, you've probably found that perfect sweet spot. Now, if you're feeling anxious or again, you're noticing that you took something, you need to lower your dose. So again, it's about finding that sweet spot for everyone where it's in that sub-perceptual level. Mm. Does that yeah, vary I, uh, with the different types or is that uh Yeah, it does. That's a fantastic question. Uh, you know, caveat to anybody who's new to mushrooms and uh, again, compared to some of the experts out there, I'm very new to mushrooms. But I had an experience with penis envy where I had never taken that strain of mushrooms mm -hmm. before. And I was in the mountains of Colorado and we had been skiing and I had already taken a microdose of Thai cubensis, which is a more uh, mellow variety. And this individual was like, yeah, it's a microdose, you'll be fine. Um, and I took this variety of penis envy and for him it was a microdose. For me, it blasted me off <laughs> into a different world. People were turning into lizards. I had to go like crawl in a bed and fucking get under the covers for <laughs> wow. six hours just you know and that's one of the scariest parts about psychedelics is, is you need to prepare for these experiences i wasn't asking this guy to blast me off into another dimension right and he mm -hmm. did so what i would say is penis envy is not a mushroom to uh to try and microdose with when you're trying to microdose a mushroom you want to stick with the cubensis variety like the thai variety um something that's that's stable you know the mushrooms that you saw on the grateful dead lot or in the fish lot you know they're <laughs> the most popular ones those are on the, the best market. ones they're the best ones um if you start to get crazy names like acerescence and cyanescence and stay back those will fucking blast you uh into the next level which brings me to uh kalindi i Kalindi, have you heard of Kalindi? Yeah, uh, it took like a 30 gram or some ridiculous high dose. Yeah, and so this gentleman just left his body a few months ago, but he's from the Detroit area. And I, mm. I guess I didn't know that, but he is a Detroit member. And uh, Maurice, he was this guy that was all about a hero's journey isn't five to eight grams. A hero's journey is 30 to 50 grams. And his whole, his whole <laughs> thing was... And this kind of plays into what you're talking to on your podcast. He said, when you eat those amounts, you start to get the downloads and the transmissions that the Aztecs were getting, that the Egyptians were getting, these next level downloads, um, which I find fascinating because you very rarely meet people who are brave enough to continually eat that <laughs> amount of mushrooms and come back and do it again. Um, but That's he's a lot. That's a lot. That's I mean, a lot. I my most is 10, and I thought that that was insane to me, but... Yeah, so you've got Kalindi IE on the, on the one end, who's all about large doses, can give us maybe the answers to global warming and, and get us in touch with some of these divine ancient teachings that the Egyptians have, the Aztecs, the Mayans had. And then on the other spectrum, you know, you've got microdosing, which is using these sacred plants in a very small amount so that you're optimizing your day-to-day -day life uh, as opposed to these large dose journeys or concert journeys, right, um, that we would take where, uh, you know, it was uh, we were fully, fully engulfed and really probably wouldn't or shouldn't be driving any cars <laughs> or hanging with our children or anything like that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you mentioned fish. Some of my best psilocybin experiences were at, I mean, we were what, 17? We went, we fish 2.0 was the first shows back from their break and we took Greyhounds to Cincinnati and, 
I remember eating a bunch of caps and just thinking that this is insane and amazing and just had a crazy, amazing experience. But, uh, when you look at, um, you're talking about like the difference between the different types and everything. And you mentioned penis envy. The last time I had a real experience was penis. I think it was like 3.5 or 3.6 of penis envy. And I, I, I took me through a journey through history where I was watching like them build the pyramids. And then I went to ancient Greece and was watching like Pythagoras discover tones. And like, that's how intense of a journey that was in my own mind. I, it was complete darkness, meditating and just, went through history. It was like an insane experience. So I, I definitely feel with, uh, feel you on that with the whole penis envy. Um, and I don't know how prevalent those are, but I'm, I'm always, I'm always open to those based off of that one experience, but I get what you're saying about the dosage and the potency and everything. Um, so, but, but for people like yourself who are experienced and you've got a safe set and setting at home, and maybe you want to find out some of these deeper ancient mysteries. And you know, that's why I think the immortality key for any of your listeners, they need to check that book out. They need to listen to the author's podcast with Joe Rogan, just fascinating stuff. And mm -hmm. for anyone who's taken psychedelics and had that experience that you've had where you've gone back in time and literally fucking seen how it probably went down, um, it just shows you that psychedelics have always been a part of society. And up until Spanish colonialism in the 1500s, the Aztecs and the Mayans and the Egyptians before them, these groups that were thriving, were thriving because they were getting information and technology from another, another level that came only if you ate these mushrooms right. or used these substances. Well, I mean, it, it, you look at, again, the mortality key, this idea that it, ingesting, you know, LSD, you get a lot of fractals, you know, ancient Greece, if the Eleusinian mysteries, you have Euclid and all these famous mathematicians coming out of ancient Greece, you know, that, that might not, they're, they're able to visualize what they were trying to conceptualize in their mind. I think that that probably had a huge role in, in that whole thing, in my opinion. But, um, with the microdosing thing, do you, you said that you have to, you know, pick a certain or certain kinds are better for microdosing than other kinds. Um, you know, just psilocybe, cubensis, seems to be the one in, and what did you say the, the average dosage between is considered a microdose? 0.1 to 0.4, obviously okay. 0.4 being the higher end. I don't, I don't have any clients that get up even above probably 0.3. Now I do work with some athletes, specifically a few in the NHL that are using this as kind of a performance enhancer and they're, they're bigger, they burn more calories. So they're upwards of kind of a 0.3 dose. Mm. Um, but yeah, everybody is a little different, um, which is why it's important to find um, that sweet spot. Uh, you spoke a few minutes ago about empathy, and I think that it's important just to circle back to that for a minute because Paul Stamets often talks about psilocybin and the connection to empathy. And he, he references a study that they did that showed that people who had consumed psilocybin even once were 66% less likely to be abusive in their domestic partnership. Mm. Um, so wow. literally, they're seeing a correlation between eating mushrooms and less domestic violence or less violence as a whole. And it's like you said, somebody has that large dose experience or even over time with the small doses, that intelligence is getting into you. It's, it's, it's rewiring you. It, it's helping you um, thrive to some extent. And I think specifically in the brain, 
because I'm always advising my clients to stack the psilocybin with lion's mane. Uh, you know, science is showing that this nootropic mushroom lion's mane, which is not psychedelic, um, actually creates neurogenesis, which is the growth of new neural pathways. Uh, also increases neuroplasticity, the connection between the pathways, the ability for the pathways to repair itself. So again, back to us being mushrooms, you know, we're finding that the eating of these mushrooms, lion's mane stacked with psilocybin, is creating crazy neuro neurogenesis in the brain. Um, the other thing that it's doing is it's blocking the default mode network, um, which is fascinating stuff. For those that don't know what the default mode network is, um, in the last few years with the fMRI scans of the brain, we found out that the human functions in this area of the brain, the default mode network, probably more than 95% of the time. That area has to do with thinking about the future, worrying about the past. It's where your ego lives. Mm -hmm. uh, it's where your trauma lives. Uh, it's where fight or flight lives. So more than anything, humans are programmed to default into more often a negative way of thinking. What the psilocybin shows in the brain scans is they block the default mode network, which flips people into an automatic flow state, brings them immediately into the now, and then the lion's mane and the psilocybin is growing new neural pathways in their brain instead of running down that old pathway, and then the new neural pathways are making people feel more creative, more energized, happier, better mood. So uh, again, there's something really magical going on with this combination of lion's mane and psilocybin. Um, you know, and Paul Stamets out in Washington was really the first one to kind of put that together. Mm. Wow. Sounds like a lot of stuff that I could use. And, yeah, and if uh, it, I was yeah. just going to say, if you haven't checked out the Paul Stamets episodes on Joe Rogan, check those out because he, he goes into a lot of the stuff, but he also, I mean, the guy is just a whiz with mushrooms. He's probably the best out there. He's is that brilliant. the guy with the hat made out of them? <laughs> yeah. yeah. All right. With the hat made out of mushrooms, and he, yeah. just, he just got a patent for a mushroom-based um, elixir that you give to bees and he's basically figured out how to use mushrooms to end bee colony collapse. Mm. Wow. Yeah, I saw that they build these little like houses he was talking about it on the episode or these little things for the bees and they can take that nutrients and then it helps protect against the whatever's killing them or attacking them or whatever. Exactly. That's crazy. And, and again, the lion's mane for the brain, you know, some of the people that would benefit the most from microdosing are people in their 70s or 80s, even 60s, who are dealing with the worry of Alzheimer's or, or dementia or issues of the brain where your brain's deteriorating. Um, you know, one of my clients even was a semi-pro hockey player who was knocked unconscious in a fight, hit his head on the deck, ended up having to learn to walk or talk again, you know, struggled for more than a year and a half. I began to work with him. He began to work with lion's mane and psilocybin. His confidence began to come back. His speech began to come back. It was absolutely amazing. And, uh, Right now, for traumatic brain injury, for concussions in sports, we don't have anything. We don't have anything that we can give athletes or even the normal person in a car accident or however they slam their brain. We have nothing that regenerates brain. We have n nothing that we know about that creates neurogenesis, except mm -hmm. science main mushroom. And then things like we know if you do 30 to 40 minutes of hard aerobic exercise, you also create neurogenesis. So there are ways to hack into neurogenesis through exercise and sauna, things like that. But 
the easiest way is simply using these mushrooms like lion's mane and psilocybin. Yeah, and I'm sure some people have seen that graph of it shows the brain not on psilocybin and all the connections and then the brain on psilocybin with all the connections. And it's insane at how many more connections there are, like even across, you know, straight across. So um, it obviously does something. And I think it does create some neuroplasticity. So again, somebody like me who's had OCD and been battling that and depression and stuff, um, it allows you, it becomes, your brain becomes more malleable again, as opposed to these rigid, neurons that have been deep in you know these habits and these thought loops deeply ingrained in the neurons and i think it allows it to open up and take the therapy and take suggestive you know things in and stuff like that so i definitely think um you know that should be something that should be an option at least in the future for sure um when you um, are dealing with these other you know mushrooms that are non-psychedelic uh, what do you think is the most beneficial? Do you think lion's mane is the most beneficial or which one do you think is the most benefit in terms of like your brain a- activity or function? In terms of for the brain, I think that lion's mane stacked with psilocybin is is the best two out there right now. Um, I have my clients also use chaga mushrooms, which are considered the king of mushrooms from Chinese medicine. There's over 215 phytonutrients in these mushrooms. And they're just fabulous for overall immunity. Um, And then another one is cordyceps. Cordyceps is a mushroom that uh, has been known to give you sustained energy throughout the day without having a a crash like you might with coffee. Hmm. Um, And it's also shown to be somewhat of a bronchial dilator where you actually can eat this mushroom and it can actually open your lungs up and allow you to take more VO2 in throughout your day. So the cordyceps is something that even a decade ago – the Chinese Olympic team were using for their long distance runners and they began to break world records and get accused of using steroids. And uh, they were simply using this mushroom cordyceps um, that the Chinese have used for thousands of years. You know, all of these mushrooms um, that I'm suggesting people are using uh, go back thousands and thousands of years. Um, So the big ones are chaga, cordyceps, lion's mane, and then, you know, the psilocybin cubensis preferably. So what do you just get like a supplement or? Yeah, there's some really great companies online where you can get all of the legal mushrooms grown organically. Paul Stamets has a great company at uh, fungi.com. Yeah, what's uh, his called? Like host defense or something like yeah, that? Yeah, host defense. And, and you know, now more than ever for people that are new to mushrooms, like we don't even have to be talking about psychedelic mushrooms. There are so many good mushrooms for immunity like reishi, turkey tail, chaga, um, you know, Paul Stamets has a, a mushroom blend for immunity that's got, I think, 20 mushrooms in it, and you get them in these little pills. So more than anything, going to Better Health or the health food stores in the Gross Point area and finding these mushroom supplements uh, really can help build your immunity through these winter months as well. Yeah, that uh, what's that other one he always talks about? Agaricon? It's like a rare one that the Greeks used to use, and supposedly it's found in uh, the woods of Washington. Yeah, Agaricon is something that I take as well. It huge booster to the immu- uh, immunity. He's actually found that Agaricon, uh, Agaricon also um, can be, I don't want to call it a cure, but it works better on, on herpes and all these different viruses than normal pharmaceuticals. And this is, a, this is an organic mushroom that could be a potential better option for people with, with this virus than, uh, than pharmaceuticals. So he's, he's finding out a lot of, a lot of fascinating stuff. Um, but again, you know, people really should be looking into the non-psychedelic mushrooms just to boost their 
immunity. I've been taking mushrooms and microdosing mushrooms for probably more than two years now, and uh, I've not been sick. Um, I give my kids uh, mushroom supplements. They've not been sick. So uh, again, mushrooms right now um, will begin to get more and more popular uh, as more and more of these professional athletes and, and people like Joe Rogan speak out to how much it adds to their performance and, and their lifestyle. Mm, absolutely. Yeah, I wanted to ask you a question. When you're uh, microdosing the, the the psilocybin mushrooms, does it make a difference if you? Because I, I I did take a couple of the microdosing uh, little capsules, and I'm I'm assuming that it's just shredded up mushroom. And does it does it matter if it's ground up or if you just go into your bag and eat point two of like you know like a like a stem or whatever? Yeah, great question. I mean, you can go in your bag and weigh out your point one or your point two and and chew it up. Um, the whole reason that people blend it in, in like a coffee grinder and then put it in as a capsule is so they don't have to taste it. And uh -huh. so it's just a really easy way to take it. Um, but if you have a little jewelry scale and with, you know, the tenths of a gram and, you know, you can just weigh your piece out and throw it in your smoothie or swallow it, that's, that's a great way to do it. Um, you can also get the other pow powders like lion's mane and chaga and, and put it all together in a smoothie and, and just take them all as one time. So there's a lot of ways to do it, but I would definitely just say for anyone out there trying their first time that, you know, start with point one and then move up to point one five before you go to point two or point two five. Cause usually for, even for me, that's a dose where I'm going to probably notice it a little bit. Yes. And, what, and what's like the, so you, you want to take this every day or is, like, are you trying to get uh, like a certain amount in your body as like a baseline so it's constantly in there or do you see re you know results within taking one one session of it or yeah that's a that's a great question so um right now the world's leading expert on microdosing is a gentleman uh from stanford uh dr james fadiman and basically he came out with a book uh psychedelic explorer's guide about 13 years ago where he first started talking about microdosing and the whole idea of microdosing and he created the idea of a one-month protocol. And he really felt like in order to see the benefits of microdosing, you need to take it for at least a month, okay? So once he came up with you need to take it at least for a month, he wanted to come up with a regimen or a protocol during the week for how many days you microdose. Now, it's important to be clear that you don't microdose seven days a week, right? We don't want to set anybody up like antidepressants or other medication where they have to take a pill every day. Uh, so the beauty of microdosing is it has a 48-hour effect, meaning psychedelics, even in these super small doses, have an afterglow in that second day. So what Dr. Fadiman did is he developed the Fadiman protocol, which is take it on day one. Let's say it's Monday. You take your microdose. Tuesday, you don't microdose, but you're still getting the afterglow and getting the benefits of it. Wednesday is your sober day, your day off. You don't take anything. And then again, Thursday, you take your microdose. So it's one day on, two days off. And that's the Fadiman protocol. That's considered probably the most popular protocol in the world. Now, Paul Stamets came up with another protocol in the last few years. And his protocol is a little bit more flexible. And it's either four days on, three days off, or five days on, two days off. Um, I'm lucky to be close friends with Dr. Fadiman, and I had him ask Paul Stamets why it can be either one of those days. And basically, Paul said, because you can be flexible, right? We want people to be able to be flexible. And if one week they do it four, that's fine. If another week they do it five. I have to believe there's still kind of the afterglow theory with 
Paul's protocol, you're getting your three days off, but you're still getting some benefits from the mushrooms or your substance, even on your days off. The third most popular protocol is out of Holland. They're called the Microdosing Institute. And this is the day on, day off protocol. And that's take it on Monday, take day off Tuesday, and then take it again Wednesday. Now, what I'm finding with coaching more than 60 clients over the last few months is that there's no one protocol that works for everybody. It, it just doesn't work for everybody. And so it's important to find a protocol that works for you. Some people love day on, day off. Some people love the Fatiman protocol. Now, other people that I'm working with that are making, maybe weaning off of antidepressants or weaning off of Percocets or alcoholism, they're going to probably in the first two to three weeks need to be taking the microdose substance almost every day. So there are definitely cases where people will microdose five to seven days a week, but usually that's only if we're weaning off other, uh, other substances um, that are more toxic to the body. Mm -hmm. So three different protocols that are kind of known around the world, um, but I find with my clients that over time, after they get into that third and four week, third and fourth week, they intuitively start to develop their own protocol. Um, and the other really great thing about microdosing is I've been doing it for more than two years now, and the more you do it, the less you need it. It's actually fascinating. You know, I'll start to wake up and have such amazing days that I'll forget that it's a dose day. And that's what is kind of the exact opposite of pharmaceuticals is the longer my clients are microdosing, the less they need it during the week. The psilocybin mushrooms specifically, uh, they tend to make people want to eat healthier, exercise more, smoke less, drink less. So um, there's something really fascinating about the way that they work uh, with people's bodies. They, they, they tend to, uh, you know, kind of kickstart a, a little bit of a healthy movement inside of everybody. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Yeah, I mean it's it you obviously want to get the whole, you know, the whole thing going with the eating healthy, the working out, you know, it's got to work in, you know, if you're not doing the other things to make yourself feel good, you can't expect just taking something to do that for you either. And if it does, it's probably going to be temporary. So mm -hmm. Yeah, and you know, that's the beauty of psilocybin because my large dose experiences with psilocybin 2 years ago really guided me on the path of this journey of working with people. And again, like Dennis McKenna or Terrence McKenna talks about, there is an intelligence to these mushrooms. And if you're humble enough to have a large dose experience and to listen or to ask them for guidance, um, these plants really put out that information. And you can't have these large dose journeys every day. You can't have them like every week. You know, these are sacred events, maybe once every couple months or, or once a year. But there is a transmission of information. There's a download, and that's the power of ayahuasca or mushrooms is for a lot of us, we live in this default mode network. And specifically with trauma, um, a lot of us have buried our trauma. 
And if we were traumatized as children, which most people were, um, we have a more active default mode network. So that default mo ne mode network is more active because it doesn't want your brain probably retrieving these other memories that are ultimately holding you back. So what do psychedelics do? They shine the fucking floodlight on all the shit you've been hiding in your brain or in your soul or in your heart, and they show you the shit that you need to work on when you come back to a sober life. Mm -hmm. um, so I want to be clear to anybody that thinks I'm talking about eating psilocybin all the time or we should all take large dose journeys all the time. That's not how large dose journeys work. Anyone that's taken a large dose journey knows you're not rushing back to it. You know, it's, it's not something you want to do anytime soon. But at the same time, it gives you access to areas of your brain that you may not have accessed since childhood or since the trauma happened. And then people come out of the experience and they get to start to do some work to um, undo that depression on their own. You know, like you said, it's, it's a whole litany of things. It's exercise, it's diet, it's maybe meditation, it's all kinds of things. It's not just you take a mushroom and it heals you, you still have to come back and do the majority, if not all of the work. Yeah, did you just see the uh, documentary uh, The Way of the Psychonaut with Stan Groff? That's what that whole thing's about is the, um, from your childhood, all the, you know, painful memories or things that you picked up along the way, you know, all the baggage and stuff like that, even from the womb, you know, that so. Um, but you, you keep mentioning the default mode network and I just, I have something, to, I, so the recently I think they did a, there was a scientific paper that I read talking about cannabis's effect on the default mode network and it has a less effect on the default mode network, but I don't know if that's necessarily accurate and if it's, if the default mode networks, even like what people suspect that it is so far, I mean, we probably have the best picture we have so far, but, um, for instance, when I smoke a lot or I smoke concentrates or whatever the case may be, um, sometimes you get, you know, a little, almost yeah. like a mushroom feeling. You're like scary high and you're like, Oh, I'm super aware and I got to get my stuff together. So it's that feeling that you get, uh, from coming down from mushrooms. Sometimes I get when I am high. So, um, and in that regard, um, I don't know that we fully know what's going on with that yet. It's like almost like, you know, young with the, you know, subconscious and the, you know, that whole thing. So, um, it's interesting though. I do like exploring it and, and trying to figure out what's going on there and how my mindset's different in that state. Um, you know, do you think though, this is what I was going to ask you earlier. I think a lot of, for me, the healing part of it, or like the part that helped me was the mystical aspect and properties of the psilocybin. It was the, the fact that I felt more connected to something greater or that there's more to life. It's the feeling, you know, obviously we research all this stuff. That's what our show is about is, you know, exploring the mysteries of life. But when you come, when it, you know, it get, gets down to it, I haven't really experienced anything like that in day-to-day -day consciousness other than maybe deep meditation. Even that though still is kind of a different thing because you're able to walk around and experience things on psychedelics. So I was just curious if you thought that maybe, um, you know, the microdosing thing, I guess this is where my question is, the microdosing thing, since you're missing that my mystical aspect of it, you're relying on the compounds to do something to you. So do you think that um, that has, I guess, where's the separation between the mystical thing, the mystical aspects helping you, and then what is the actual compounds within the mushrooms helping you? Yeah, great question. It's kind of complicated. Um, I'm sorry. I went out a whole thing there, but. Yeah, no, no, no. no. So, um, 
Yes. What, what was the what was the main question? Run. That okay. So yeah. Sorry, I went I went in a whole roundabout thing there. Okay. So the main thing is when the mystical properties of psilocybin oh, right. is what so is me, what I feel like helped me. But with the microdosing thing, you're obviously not feeling that. So, what do you think is it about the compound that that still helps you? Great question. I think that uh, years ago, when the Life magazine editors gave it the title "Magic Mushrooms," as cheesy as it is. Um, I really can't describe it to you, right? I'm not a scientist. I don't have all the data. All I can tell you is they have an intelligence all of their own. Um, and I have had plenty of mystical experiences microdosing. Now, probably not the mystical on the scale of ayahuasca or a large dose journey, mm -hmm. but the beauty of microdosing to some extent is you're still tapping in with nature, you're still feeling more empathetic, you're still getting all of these benefits, and I've definitely had mystical experiences while microdosing. Usually it's out in nature, and it's more than anything just giving you this extra level of connection. Um, and you know, a lot of indigenous tribes for thousands of years have microdosed for visual acuity for the ability to have a just a little bit better vision or, or just a little bit better hearing. So I know specifically uh, as a musician too, I've had mystical experiences microdosing and, and playing music. And maybe technically it's not microdosing because all of a sudden it's mystical and it's it's big, but I- It would be like more of a flow state kind of yes. when you're- Yes, so it would be a flow state, which to me is a mystical experience to some extent. Um, so no, like a lot of, a lot of the people I work with, I don't know that they, uh, are brave enough to have a large dose journey yet. They're getting all of these amazing, uh, growth experiences day to day from using it in these small doses. Um, so I think as a whole microdosing probably has the ability to reach more people than the large doses. Um, but again, even these small doses have the ability to connect people to nature and their children even in a mystical and magical way. Yes, not on the scale of the large dose journey where you know you might not remember what your name is or, <laughs> or how to walk at the moment, but the really fascinating thing is when you can have those mystical experiences and not be on a large dose. Mm -hmm. um, kind of similar to how years ago Ram Das went to India and he took LSD and he gave it to his guru and the guru took like the largest dose he's ever seen and shook his head and was like, oh yes, we've had this medicine for thousands of years. They used to take it in the Indus Valley and you had to fast, but people aren't willing to do the fast and the rituals anymore, so it's it's gone forgotten. And then the long and short of it is the guru teaches them that instead of eating acid, you can get to this Christ-like state through meditation and kirtan and, and singing and all that. So um, I don't know. I kind of went on a tangent there. but No, you're fine. Oh, that was good. I've actually heard two. I don't know if it was Duncan Trussell or somebody else. I've heard two versions of that story. One where he was given the LSD and he didn't feel anything since he was already in an elevated state of consciousness. So it didn't have the same effect as it would have on somebody normal. You know, I've also heard the same story where the person – 
took a hit of DMT or something and came in and said, that's the farthest you can go without dying or something like that. So I've heard, uh, you know, I, I don't know. I would like to know what the real I, version. Yeah, well, I, I've, I've researched it because uh, Be Here Now and Ram Dass's book w- w- right. really changed my life. I got big into Eastern religion and all that. And uh, so I, I, I do know the story because I researched it. Basically, Ram Dass gave him LSD twice. And the first time Ram Dass gave him LSD, he was so shocked that he didn't lose his mind from the amount that for over a year he convinced himself that he didn't really take it. He convinced himself that he threw it over his shoulder (laughs) or that he was a magician and he didn't take it, right? So like a year and a half later, Ram Dass goes back to India. It takes him like months to find the guru. He walks up to the teacher and the first thing the teacher said is, did you bring the medicine? (laughs) I hear you didn't think I took it. Right. Hmm. And so then Ram Dass's mind exploded again and he gives him the medicine again. And this time the guy's like, <laughs> you know, like rubbing it yeah, on his yeah, tongue yeah, yeah. and putting it under. And then 10 minutes later, Ram Dass tells the beautiful story. You can find it on a YouTube video. The guru started fucking with him and started pulling his blanket up and then pulling it down, <laughs> making all these crazy faces and like, he started contorting and and basically scared Ram into thinking that he had like overdosed the guru, and then they all laughed and, and he goes, and, "Oh, I'm fine, I'm fine. Don't worry about yeah, it." Yeah, he was he was fine. But again, his guru was this next level type of person that uh, is very rare uh, on this planet. Not so rare in India and these other places. Very rare in our country. So. You couldn't give that dose to 99.9% of people on this planet, but somehow his guru um, handled it and uh, turned it into a teaching on meditation. Nice. Well, a lot of a lot of people are just so cemented in this reality that when they, you know, we were we were talking about how you know having dreams and stuff. Some of these cultures they they look at dreaming and then being awake is almost the same thing. So when they dream and when they're awake, it's like a just like a continuation of the dream. So, but a lot of people in America, in particular, is when you wake up, this is life. You got to go to work. You got to do this. You got to do that. But again, now with you know social media in a good way, I know there's a lot of negatives about it, but YouTube and stuff like that, all this information is getting out there and people are starting to look at things in a little bit different of a light here. Yeah. And that's that default mode network, you know, wake up, put your shoes on, go to work, get the donuts, you know, whatever the story is. And, and these taking of psychedelics, is uh, you know it it kind of I imagine it like imagine if you had you were on a mountain and you just skied the same track all the way down every time it would be this deep rivet and you would just that's the track I take down well a psychedelic is like a fresh snowstorm comes in and it mm. fills in all the tracks and all of a sudden you have to take another track in a different place um, and this brings me back to something you said earlier which I thought was beautiful which is a lot of people who've had a large dose of experience of psilocybin report that they don't fear death anymore. And that's where I think psilocybin can really help our society is they're doing these uh, studies at John Hopkins where they're giving terminal cancer patients large doses of psilocybin and it's taking away their fear of death. It's taking away their anxiety. It's changing the way that they live their end of life. And I think a lot of the problem in our world today is that people are afraid of death, right? Mm -hmm. People think that death is the end and they're afraid of it. And anyone who's been on a large dose journey, who's been connected to spirit or something bigger than this experience, 
begins to realize, well, shit, there, there really is no death, right? Yes, this meat suit dies, but the soul is internal. It's an infinite being. There's no actual death. And if you began to believe that, people wouldn't be fearing death. The whole course of our life and our planet would change. So I really also look forward to what psilocybin can do to start kind of taking away that that fear of, of death for people. Hmm. Yeah, and I think at very least, even if you wanted to get all science on this whole thing, at very least our the energy from our, you know, like information is energy and is it goes somewhere. So what do you think in our brain? Tons and tons of this energy and stuff in our body, you know, so it's just a transfer of energy. So whether you believe consciousness exists after death or not is irrelevant in the sense that um, something happens. There's some sort of transfer of energy or transition or something. So um, when you look at, uh, but you mentioned that, so that's big in Canada. I know that they've been, I, I don't know if they, there's a terminal patient they were trying to, I think I believe a woman that they were trying to get psilocybin no, legally for or something. Yeah, Canada has approved, I believe, uh, four to five terminal patients to use psilocybin uh, in therapy, which is a huge, huge step. And then John Hopkins has been just doing breakthrough studies with cancer patients for a couple years now, and they continue to do these uh, terminal mm -hmm. cancer patient anxiety end of life studies. Um, and you know, for myself, uh, a couple years ago, a dear friend um, in his 50s died of cancer. And um, I visited him on his last day and, um, you know, it was traditional hospice where um, they're using a lot of um, opiates. And uh, he was a psychonaut. He was a grateful dead, deadhead, went on tour. He knew psychedelics well. And I remember him telling me that when he conks out from the opiates, the visions are awful, that the realm he's in is nightmarish and scary and at that point and after when he passed away i realized that people really need that option of what medicine they want to use at the end of life mm -hmm. you know and i really really um heard him saying that you know he wished there were other options like lsd or or something that could be taken um but you know he made it clear that it was not very fun um, going out on these drugs that they're normally using in hospice. Um, I witnessed my own grandmother um, in hospice under the same drugs, and slowly they're just upping, upping, upping till the point that the person's just not there anymore. Right, um, right. So again, you know, I think of my friend who passed away, and I really hope that um, you know, starting in Oregon with psilocybin-assisted therapy and decriminalization all around the country, that you know. Soon enough, this can be something that people can use end of life. You know, I'm not saying they need to use it on their deathbed in the final days, but maybe in the last month, the ability to have that journey with a therapist, the ability to, um, you know, not be so fearful of what comes to them. Hmm. Yeah, and I think for me, it was coming to the conclusion, especially since OCD, like the the precipice or the the, you know, the whole worry behind it is always things you can't control it's always this thing that you want to control that you can never control so it's it's nearly impossible so if you drive yourself uh crazy thinking like that every day yeah i think you know for me the psilocybin was able to break that up and allow me to to first of all i had a relationship with it going back like i said a while so um 
when it, when this came on in my mid twenties, and I didn't know what to do. I had been away. F- I had not been doing psychedelics. So when I came back to it, it was like, oh, like I said, it was like going home. There was some sort of relationship there already, and it allowed me to break that loop, that mind loop. And I think that people get stuck in that even if they don't have any mental illness. You know, like Maurice was talking about, like day to day consciousness, and you're talking about default mode network and just going through the motions and. I think anything that can break that up, you know, if you're not good at meditating or, you know, you don't work out a ton, you know, or you work out when you can, whatever the case may be, having something as another option isn't the worst thing for sure. Um, when you look at the the mystical side of this thing, like we were just talking about end of life and giving people a peace of mind on their way out and that kind of a thing, um, do you think that we're missing, because I, I, we've been talking a lot about this lately, and obviously there's been a lot of talk in general about this kind of thing, but we're missing some sort of modern, you know, or Western society style uh, tradition, you know, like Mesoamerica has their sacred mushroom rituals and sacred plant, you know, um, rituals, and then you go um, over in the, uh, East and there's, you know, you had Soma and you had all these other things going on back then. And we don't really have any of those traditions. I guess you could say the closest thing would be the Eleusinian mysteries, but that ended a long time ago. Um, do you think we need something like that? Or is science the new thing that we got to latch on? Like what's the new thing that we can all kind of get behind that's going to show us this next level or this next stage? Yeah, I, I think that that what is what's great about psilocybin is it connects you to that mystical side. It connects you to something bigger than yourself. Um, yeah, total brain fart here for a minute, but <laughs> I, uh, yeah, what was the question again, my friend? <laughs> no, no, it's all good. I was just saying, do you think we need some sort of like modernized, yeah, rites of passage. you know, like, like a Lucinian mysteries kind of a thing? It's almost like, so, you know, all these cultures have it and you see a lot of them don't deal with the same kind of mental illness that, that we yeah, I, I, That's a great question. I think you're absolutely right. And we do need rites of passage. And I think that that's what's missing in our society, specifically in America, is there are no real rites of passage uh, bringing a boy into manhood. Um, and those rites of passage are what connects you to a community. And I think that's what we're lacking as a whole these days is, is a lack of community. You know, right now our rites of passage are getting your license at 16, you know, graduating high school at 18 and being able to drink at 21. Those are like what we celebrate in, in American society. And then you look back to, you know, Native American societies where there were the vision quests when you became a certain age mm-hmm. um, or there was the sweat lodge. Um, and I know for myself experiencing sweat lodges and all these different experiences, there's that connection to something greater than yourself that I think everybody in today's society needs and is missing um, and could be something that really helps us uh, lower the amount of people that suffer from depression and anxiety and all of these other experiences. Um, And fortunately or unfortunately, I've only experienced these these experiences under the uh, influence of these mushrooms or ayahuasca or something like that. So Whereas it's not for everybody, I do think that, you know, most people deserve this opportunity in a safe and secure setting with the right people and the right guides. Um, And I think as we become older um, and as our generations become more in power, we're going to give people more access to these experiences. 
um, because that's what people lack. People lack a connection to community. People lack a feeling of rites of passage or like they're accomplishing things. Um, you know, in tribal societies, when a man becomes a boy, that's a big fucking deal, right? And the whole village comes out to honor that person. And, you know, we don't really have that outside of graduation of high school or graduation of college. So, um, yeah, I do feel like this is something that the human race and America specifically deserves is this ability to take these substances um, which don't know they're illegal. You know, obviously mushrooms don't know they're illegal when they grow. Cannabis doesn't know it's illegal. These are plants given to us by the creator, whoever or whomever that may be. And, and they don't uh, even know why they contain psilocybin either. Like there's no hard, you know, scientific proof of why these even contain psilocybin in the first place. Absolutely. And that's why to some extent, you know, we could talk circles all day about why it might work and this and that and fMRI scans and this and that. But the, the long and short of it is it works. Um, and there's something next level, in my opinion, with the psilocybin. Um, you know, you've talked about it with empathy, uh, with connection to nature. Um, what I've seen it do for myself and a lot of people is it begins to um, allow you to create self-love. And I think that that's the big one. And a lot of us have been traumatized in the past or we've got these things that we never dealt with. And the psilocybin for me allowed me to begin to deal with those things. And the way that the psilocybin began to show me things was, hey, all of this trauma that you've experienced, all of this pain, all of this darkness, this, this needed to happen actually. This came to you as a blessing to make you the strong and amazing person that you are. And when people can go back and they can start to rewrite their story, that's fucking life changing, right? Mm -hmm. And for a lot of people, it's hard for them to rewrite their story unless they have this little bit of this substance or this large dose of the substance to break them out of that default mode network or that normal way of thinking. So again, I, there is a self-love component. The psilocybin has um, really helped me and the people that I work with really start to cultivate that that self-love for themselves. Mm. When you hear uh, microdosing come up, a lot of people, well, in especially in California with uh, Silicon Valley and stuff, the LSD has been known to be a, something to microdose on too. What's your take on to, on that? Do you know anything about that? or? Yeah, so the most popular two things to microdose are LSD and psilocybin. And I would say that probably LSD was the first thing in Silicon Valley that they were really microdosing. Um, and it, it gained popularity specifically with coders um, because it gave them a level of focus, uh, extra boost of energy. Um, to be honest with you, I don't know that they were really microdosing. They could have been medium dosing or, or taking a little bit larger amounts to go for 16 hours. But the fact of the matter is, um, yeah, next to Dr. Fadiman's book, Silicon Valley is really what kind of started to make um, microdosing more popular. Now, LSD is a synthetic, right? Um, so in order to microdose LSD, you have to dilute the liquid using water, or you have to very carefully cut the paper tabs into I was very say, like pieces. one tab, you probably, I think, cut up into like nine little pieces. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So for me, um, LSD has always been a stronger experience. It's 12 hours a lot of the time, where as opposed to psilocybin, it's, it's four to six. Um, for me, it's very tough to dose LSD at a sub-perceptual dose. 
because um, with paper, you don't know how the LSD was dropped on there. You don't know if there's more in one corner than the other. You don't know if a tab's been double dropped. So for me, LSD's been kind of hard to dose subperceptually. I have experimented with it and I kind of feel it more and it gives me more energy. Um, what a lot of people and myself report with psilocybin is it's a more personal experience. It's a more reflective experience. There is a next level intelligence to the experience than to being kind of more synthesized with the LSD. So I feel it's just a more organic, earthy, um, I get way more from the psilocybin than I do personally from the LSD. Again, that's that's just me. So a lot of people use the LSD, um, and that's probably used more for focus, uh, long-term um, you know, goals as far as coding or working or writing. Psilocybin is more of going inside, um, more introspective, and in my opinion, uh, allows you to do more of that interpersonal work, which allows for more healing later on down the road. I 100% agree. That's psilocybin's always been my my spirit psychedelic. So, um, in terms of like I said, that relationship of like going home, there's just like a feeling you get. It's like a body. I feel like LSD is like a lot more heady. You know, you're, you yeah. get a little bit more in your own head, and I feel like yeah. psilocybin's like an all encompassing. I feel it coursing through my yeah. body, whether it's the serotonin playing off of the HT, uh, uh, HT, you know five, whatever the hell that receptor is two a, um, you know, or whatever is going on, something's happening where you feel it like coursing through you. And so LSD, even though I've had some fun experiences at like it festival, that fish it festival and stuff like that, it's just not something that I feel like, um, I benefit from on like a, uh, a, you know, a higher level like I do with psilocybin. Yeah. L LSD is tricky. And I'll just tell a quick story about last time I did LSD, but I haven't done LSD in years other than the microdosing. And I went on a camping trip with some friends and uh, another friend gave me some ginger chews. And what he didn't tell me is they were double or triple dropped. <laughs> and I gave these to some people that hadn't taken LSD in 12 years. And it was a horrible night. I had people thinking I overdosed them. I had people thinking they were never gonna stop tripping on LSD. Um, so LSD is fucking potent, right? You, oh, yeah. you, ne you never know how much liquid is on your sweet tart or whatever substance you got, unless you're seeing it dropped or, or you're doing it yourself. With mushrooms, you know, you look at the mushroom and you're gonna know how much you eat. So I just think, um, you, know, you know, you're less likely to get yourself in these bad situations, but man, it was a horrible situation. Um, and it was scary for a lot of these people. And, um, you know, that was my fault for not taking these really in a sacred setting and not really making sure that I tried out these substances beforehand. Um, so again, I really like psilocybin because it's way easier to dose. Um, it's not invisible. You're not going to get yourself in crazy fucking trouble. Um, it would take you eating a lot to, uh, to get to the place that you could get just from eating a double or triple dose sweet tart you get on the lot somewhere. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. We've had some weird experience. I mean, I've taken, I've taken some things from, from shakedown. The only time I've ever taken yeah. LSD, I took one tiny little tab. I was like, this isn't going to do anything. And this, it launched me into a whole <laughs> new stratosphere. This kid was at a casino and he had a real Hunter S. Thompson like <laughs> scenario. Yeah. Those patterns did flow. 
You know, I've tried that Hunter S. Thompson thing, and I, I was just like, I think I bailed out of the casino to find some nature and trees yeah, to, yeah. to lay down in. But those guys were, uh, they were definitely next level, that's for sure. Oh, yeah. So when you look at uh, where this is all going, obviously you have the macro dose people, you have the micro dose people. I've been fooling myself the whole time. I was considering, I've told people I've done micro dosing, but I was doing like 0.5 to 0.75 and even up to like a gram. Because I guess to me in my head, that meant I'm not fully, and I wasn't doing it every day, but there was a couple of weeks where I would do it on and off a couple of days and I wasn't like tripping, but I definitely had that like come up feeling. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you know, that's what gets me so excited about this is like, we can lower your dose quite a bit and still get some of that come up feeling and an amazing positive day in your brain mm-hmm. due to my opinion of blocking the default mode network. And you know, Paul Stamets regularly says that he thinks microdosing is going to be the next nootropic vitamin that everybody's going to be taking four to five, six days a week. He also says, you look at Silicon Valley and a lot of these big tech companies and firms, and they're going to start to see microdosing as a competitive advantage, meaning those people on their staff that are microdosing potentially are going to be more productive workers. So um, I see this, um, you know, going legal in in the coming years in these more liberal states like California, uh, much like cannabis, where you're going to be able to go into your doctor um, and get a prescription and be able to do this work on a day-to-day basis. Now, that's just it. You know, depression is a day-to-day thing for people. Addiction is a day-to-day thing. So if you go and you do a large dose journey, that's great and all, but you got to come back to your life sober. Mm. So where I think the microdosing comes in is it really helps people on that day-to-day during their week. And again, you're taking such a low dose that you're not getting high. You're not feeling like you're tripping. You're simply having more positive thoughts, elevated mood, more energy. Um, So it really is the perfect description of an antidepressant. You know, it's something that's non-toxic, non-habit forming, out of your system within six to 12 hours. You don't have to take it every day to see benefits. 48 hour effect. um, And the longer you take it, the less you need it. So um, I really see it as as replacing antidepressants and and uh, being a big problem for big pharma. Yeah, and let's talk. A, do you know a little because um, I get migraines, so I know I've read some of the research into cl- uh, cluster headaches and migraines and stuff like that. So I have tried it um, myself on because I get I get migraines where literally uh, I have to close the blinds, turn all the lights off and lay down because I'm like nauseous, you know, it doesn't happen that much anymore since I've changed my diet and changed a few things around pillow and some different things. But when I was getting them bad, I would get them like once a week and literally it would be debilitating. Um, so I did try it. It did work. However, I don't see that as like anytime you get a headache, you got, you can pop some psilocybin and, and deal with it that way. Right. Well, that's that. Yeah, that's, a great question because my partners in Holland uh, at the Microdosing Institute, they got into this work a few years ago because uh, my friend Heinz' friend suffered from cluster headaches, um, also called suicide headaches. These headaches are so bad that the majority of people who suffer from them end up taking their life um, because they, they just can't deal with the pain. Um, Heinz' friend ended up taking his life, um, and that motivated Hein to really look into the research behind whether microdosing would help cluster headaches. And lo and behold, microdosing does help 
cluster headaches, and people who suffer from horrible migraines. Now, here's the thing. It doesn't take the condition away from you completely. Mm -hmm. What it does is it lowers the amount of migraines you have per month, per year, um, similar to that. And what people find is, now, like you said, you get a migraine, you can't afford to take a large dose of psilocybin. But the cool thing is we're finding that even subthreshold doses of psilocybin help with migraines and lowers the frequency of people getting migraines. So if somebody like yourself began a protocol of microdosing and you were microdosing four or five days a week, I would bet that in correlation with that, your migraines would drop and you would begin to have them less frequently. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, there, there's a whole uh, website, I think it's clusterheadaches.com or something like that, which is devoted to cluster headaches and using microdosing um, to help people overcome that condition. So yeah, there is a direct correlation where um, even Dr. Fadiman has years of research and data from civilian scientists who are seeing their migraines drop by as much as 70 to 80% in frequency once they begin microdosing. I have noticed too when I do have a, a macro dose, the after like the few weeks after that I won't have or I'll have a very light one compared to what it would normally be. So I have kept track of that and I do there is a difference and I don't think it's just placebo either. So um yeah, the funny thing is there's a new study out where they tested to see if microdosing was placebo and they proved that microdosing is not placebo. Mm -hmm. um, and if I can find that study, I'll send it over to you. But it's come out just in the last two or three weeks uh, by Robin Carhart Harris, um, I think at the Imperial College of London. Yep. Uh, so they've proven that microdosing is not uh, placebo, um, which is fascinating, fascinating stuff. And um, yeah, it, it has totally helped people with migraines. Um, it's helped people uh, with all kinds of conditions. And again, this is the power of these mushrooms. Like we may never be able to describe what they do once they get inside of our body, but they do amazing things with inside your brain. Um, and again, you know, you mentioned earlier that the famous picture, I think, from Robin Carhart Harris and Imperial College London of your brain on placebo and your brain on psilocybin. And you've got millions of new neural networks. Right. And that picture is going to become, you know, the poster child for psilocybin increasing brain function in the same way that back when we were kids, we grew up with that horrible war on drugs picture where it's, this is your brain, this is your brain on drugs, <laughs> yeah. right? Yeah. Well, now we've replaced it with fucking fMRI scans that show you that this shit is magic. Right. And all three of us are musicians. We all know the power of music when you're on these substances is insane. You know, they've actually shown uh, fMRI scans of a brain on LSD listening to music, and it's even bigger mm -hmm. than that neural pathway that you see um, in that famous picture from the Imperial College of London. So the more we learn how to scan the brain, the more we learn how to follow it, I think the more magic we're going to find. But these mushrooms, lion's mane, psilocybin, even the chaga and the cordyceps, um, they're magic. They're adaptogenic. They get into people's bodies. They find out what they're missing, and they adapt and they give them what they need. And, and it's, it's, it's literally, uh, you know, it's changing hundred percent of the people that I'm working with. Well, I mean, awesome. the brain's a massive mystery and I think it'll continue to be so for, we're going to have the hard problem of consciousness for probably beyond when we're alive. Uh, in my opinion, just, just my own take. And there was even a recent article, 
uh, for, uh, you know, I think it was Duke University who did a study with fMRI and they found that everything they knew, all the studies had been wrong because they had people that were using different parts of their brains to, to, to um, do the same function. So they would test different parts of the brain and they realized some people were using different parts of the brain than others to, to just complete basic functions. So they have to relook at the whole thing because what does that mean about all the data to this point, you know? So... Yeah, and you're reminding me of something I just uh, read the other day, which is, you know, as children, we were taught that whole idea, we only use 10% of our brain, right? right? Mm-hmm. It's a bunch of bullshit. Yeah. And found out with fMRI scans and these brain scans that, yeah, we, we can use all kinds of different areas of our brain. You know, people access different areas of their brain through cold water immersion or meditation or exercise or sauna or psychedelics. So, yeah, the more we start to figure out the brain, uh, the more amazing it is. But the brain will probably already always have these levels of mysteries, much like psychedelics, where we may never be able to pinpoint why it works. Um, but the fact of the matter, it works. And if it didn't work, we wouldn't have Oregon decriminalizing and passing psilocybin-assisted therapy. I mean, that comes from John Hopkins and all these places that have done trials to prove that this is really an effective medicine. Absolutely. Uh, well, listen, man, let's wrap it up here, but we'll definitely have you back on because it sounds like you're obviously in the know and you're, you're at this stuff every day. So we'll have to keep in touch with you and, uh, check in on what's going on here, uh, again, sometime soon. Um, is there anything you want to plug here before we wrap it up? Yeah. Thanks guys. I appreciate it tonight. Um, I got a six week course coming up with the San Francisco psychedelic society, uh, Dr. James Fadiman and the Microdosing Institute. This is an intensive webinar course uh, going deeply into microdosing, really teaching everybody how it works, creating a community, creating a space for question and answers where you can ask the world's leading expert. And uh, we can start to direct and take people through uh, six weeks of microdosing and, and learning about it. Awesome. Beautiful. Look forward to that. And uh, yeah. Check out his stuff. I'll add some of your your links down below the video after we're done here. And uh, we appreciate everybody watching and listening tonight. And like I said, man, we'll have you on for sure again sometime in the near future. If you want to support us, you can head on over to our website, mindescapepodcast.com. Uh, for just $2 a month, you'll get exclusive content on our Patreon at patreon.com slash mindescapepodcast. And one more time, go check out indrasweb.org. Uh, which is the app we designed uh, for rational discourse. So it'll be, um, you know, set up for if you have a theory or a hypothesis or you want to talk about all the kind of stuff we talk about on this this podcast. Uh, that's what it's designed for. So you can also check us out on our Discord. Uh, we're on there, and we're going to probably set up a fan chat sometime next week, so you can check us out on there. And uh, that's it. We love everybody. And again, Adam, thank you so much. You're a wealth of knowledge on this topic, and we really appreciate it. Thank you, guys. Thanks for staying up late in Michigan and having me. And come back and talk to you guys real soon. Thanks for having me. Peace. Cheers. Guys, take care. 